welcome. Hey, this is Jen. This is Casey. And you are listening to Chattahoochee. Welcome for the second time. (laughs) I'm feeling incredibly welcoming today. Uh, Casey and I have a steaming hot plate of uh, odiferous questions to serve to you today. Isn't that right, Casey? I think I have to say yes. <laughs> How could you say no? I set you up perfectly. <laughs> um, Casey, why don't you ask me a question? Here, you can do the driving. What? I get the mouse. Uh, I can't handle this responsibility. Uh, Jen, how old are you before it can be said that you died of old age? This is a listener submitting question, is that correct? It is. Um, I think it has to do not so much with the actual age, but with, like, the cause of death. I Feel it? Yeah, if it's a natural-ish cause of Yeah. Although I have heard that no one dies of old age anymore. It's no longer a valid thing to write on a death certificate. Oh, yeah. But I think it is still commonly said. Like, well, I mean, there's always going to be an acute cause of death, I believe. Right. But is it cause... Is it, like, a side effect of being really old? Yeah. Pro- I mean, in some cases, probably. Right. No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yes. Like, if it is a side effect of being really old, then people would say they died of old age. Yes. Yeah. Uh, But they're saying, like, someone could ostensibly die of natural causes when they're, you know, in their 20s. But it would be weird to say that they died of old age. I think it probably depends on if the thing you acutely die of is a normal thing for someone your age to suffer from. Yeah. And, like, are you senescent at all? Like, what's what's your... What what do your telomeres look like? <laughs> yes. I'm agreeing with you. What does senescent mean? I know like, telomeres. Like, aging. Like, when you... Okay. Like, your body undergoes a natural... Okay, this sounds really obvious as I'm saying it. Your body undergoes a natural <laughs> aging process. What? Like, your cells senesce. Okay. And you senesce. Yeah. You know where I first learned the word senescence? Where? Freaky Friday. Really? Yeah, remember? Did I use that word? Yes! The, when Lindsay Lohan is in her mom's body, Jamie Lee Curtis's <laughs> body, and she goes on the talk show, yeah. and it's like, the book that she is talking oh. about is like, senescence, understanding, and an aging, whatever. Interesting. Yes. And then she was like, you, you think of... She's thinking in her Lindsay Lohan thought voice, like, seeny, sensi, senescence, senile, like old people. Oh, wow. I just replayed that scene perfectly. Is Hollywood, are <laughs> you That's what, that's what people listening? come here for, reenactment <laughs> of, of Free Friday scenes. Uh, I'm the next Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis, all in one. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, they both Freaky Friday'd into one body, and that body is Jen's. I took the mouse away from you, I don't know why I did that. Yeah, Jen, (laughs) I guess I didn't do well driving, because Jen has revoked my privileges. I don't think we correctly answered that question, but I don't think we can give give the asker a hard and fast cutoff. Or even a range. It just feels like kind of weird. 
I, it's kind of a downer of a question. It kind of is. I don't know why I started with this one. Um, I think if I had to pick an age, I would say 70. Sounds reasonable. Although, as I get older, I've noticed that who I consider old goes way up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like at this point in my life, okay, at this point in my life, I'm 26. And right now, I feel like you're young until you're 40. And sure. I definitely used to think you were young until you were, like, 25. Yeah, yeah. Like, when I was little. Or even until you were, like, 16. Like, when I was really little. Yeah. So I think that by the time I'm 50, I'm going to still feel young and think that I won't be old until I'm 80. Yeah. If I hopefully get to 50. <laughs> Don't want to take it for uh, granted. Um, prospects are good. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Do some more driving. Oh, I thought you meant in order to die young. <laughs> No, although car crashes are a leading cause of fatalities. Yeah, for well, young people, for sure. Yeah. Wow, this is such a downer. That's how I'm likely to die if I die soon. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this posthumously, um, R.I.P. me. <laughs> anyway, next question. <laughs> um, does crying make you feel better or worse? When you're in a bad mood and you cry... Does this help you release emotions and feel better or feel more sad? What do you think, Jen? Um, I think it can go very strongly either way. What does it depend me. on? It depends on the context and just, like, sort of my overall frame of mind, I think. Yeah. Like, sometimes... I don't know. This like, is another huge downer of a question. <laughs> I apologize. Never let me drive again. <laughs> this was a terrible decision on my part. This was a bad experiment. Um, okay, so sometimes, like, crying is incredibly cathartic, and it makes me, like, actively feel better to have cried. Yeah. And I feel, like, after having cried, I feel better than before I cried. But there's definitely situations where, when I cry, I'm like, wow, this is even worse than I thought it was. And then I just, like, spiral <laughs> and continue to feel worse. And then that makes me cry more. And then I'll feel worse. Huh. What's very strange in my life in the past, like, I don't know, at least six months, I have cried only a couple of times and they were both happy crying. Really? Which is weird because I never used to happy cry until my frontal lobe was fully developed. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Weird. <laughs> but, yeah, until... I mean, as a young adult, I used to cry um, from stress about, like, school. Not all the time. Yeah. But, like, probably every couple of months, I would get really stressed out about school, and I would cry about it. Um, and I've, like, I've cried, like, when people have died and stuff. But, um, yeah, recently it's just been happy crying. And so I feel good the whole time. I feel neither better or worse after. But yesterday we did talk about – or not yesterday – a couple podcasts ago, we talked about what I have heard the evolutionary use of crying is, which is to communicate your distress to people near you without communicating it to people far away from you, which Jen did not fully buy. I believe... I'll need to send you some scholarly articles later. I definitely <laughs> think it's about conveying that you are in need of aid to, yeah. people, to your loved ones, but continue. I, I don't necessarily buy the physical proximity aspect, Okay. Okay. Continue. That's fair. Um, so by that logic, if someone sees you cry and responds to it, you would feel better. And if no one sees you cry and or no one responds to it, you would probably feel worse. But what about, okay, well, there are situations, I don't know if this is really related. Okay. But sometimes, well, we were talking about this the other day, like, 
sometimes you're feeling bad about something and then someone asks you, like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And then that makes you feel, like, that pushes you over, that makes you feel worse and pushes you over the edge into crying zone. Yeah. When, I've seen this happen a lot working at summer camp, if a kid is just sort of, like, going about their business, like, doing stuff, and then you notice that they're a little withdrawn or something, but they're okay, and then you ask them, like, hey, are you doing okay? Are you having fun at camp? Then they'll fully break down and cry, because they had been holding it together. They didn't think anyone was there for them, so they were just kind of trying to be strong. And they were kind of in denial of their own sadness, probably. Yeah. So in the moment when they feel sort of seen and empathized with, then I don't think they feel worse. I think they just acknowledge their own feelings, and long-term, it makes them feel better. Because they're, they get the help they need, and they're no longer suppressing their upsetness. Right. I buy that. Yeah. Also, I don't know if this is related, but a lot of times, and I think this happened to me when I was little and I was away from my parents, but if kids are away from their parents, they feel like they don't really miss them, they're, like, having a good time, but and if you, you hear your parents' voice without being able to see your parents or be around your parents, that's really upsetting. Oh my, that happened to me the first time I was away for an extended period, away from home for the, an extended period of time was yeah. in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I went on this trip to Washington, D.C., and, yeah, like, the first time when I talked to my parents on the phone, mm-hmm. like, I'd been doing, like, I wasn't having a great time, but it was fine, like, mm-hmm. whatever. But then when I talked to them on the phone, like, I just started crying. Yeah. And, like, it was very upsetting. I think it might go back to the, like, expressing your emotions to someone you think can help you thing. Yeah. Because when you're, like, on your own, not really on your own, but yeah, with, with other people your age kind of doing your own thing, then any, like, any hardships you face, you kind of just try to, like, deal with them on your own. You're like, okay, I'm on my own here. I have to deal with my own stuff. Um, but then you hear your parents' voice and you're like, oh yeah, these people are in the world and they can help me <laughs> through hard times. <laughs> and also, it just makes you realize that you miss them. You're like, oh my gosh, I really miss that voice. Like, I yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. Are there ever situations in which, like, you feel like crying, so you will take action to make yourself cry? What kind of action? Like, cutting onions? No, like, um... Like, thinking sad thoughts? No, well, sure. Like, for, okay... I'll put it in my context that I'm thinking about. Like, sometimes, okay, like, if you, if I just, like, feel like I want to cry, I'll read something like A Walk to Remember Mm -hmm. or, like, some other book that always makes me cry. Uh And then I cry. And then I'm like, that was a good cry. (laughs) You know? I definitely, when I was a teenager, I used to listen to sad music if I wanted to cry. And I didn't always even have something to cry about. I was just being a teenager, and I had a lot of hormones, I guess. Yeah. But I would listen to, like, really sad music um, about sad topics. Like, I used to listen to Cloud Cult. Do you know Cloud Cult? No. They, their band, the, like, the front man lost a child to sudden infant death syndrome, oh, which is, like, the saddest thing, and he made some very sad music about it. And obviously, I cannot relate to that specific story, but it's very emotional music. And very pretty and very nice to purposelessly cry to. (laughs) I don't think that there are any... There's only one song I can think of that I could listen to and it would make me cry. What is it? Um, It's by the Milk Carton Kids and it's called Memoirs of an Owned Dog. Oh, that sounds interesting. And it's incredibly sad. And... I know a couple of songs from the perspective of a cat by the Weaker Thans. Interesting. 
Yeah, this is from the perspective of a puppy that has died. If we can gather more songs from the perspective of pets, we can make a really cool playlist. <laughs> Guys, send us in any contributions you have that fit that category. Wow. And then we'll just listen to them on air and, and cry. cry. <laughs> yeah, the, the ones I'm speaking of are pretty sad, too. Yeah. Yeah. I used to cry to this one song from the Holes soundtrack. Which one? <laughs> um, it's called If Only. If only, if only the woodpecker yeah. but it's like it's... the bark on the tree was as soft as the. Are sky. you trying to make me cry right now? I'm not All going to. But it's mean of me. hungry and lonely. Yeah. Do you know the song, or do you just know the song from the movie? There's a version on the soundtrack that's like. Of more like orchestral, yeah, well, not quite orchestral, yeah, but yeah, yeah more. Instruments. There are instruments behind it, and it's kind of alternative rockish sounding oh, no, in my I memory, at least. I don't think I. We know should it. listen to it. I might actually cry if we listen to the actual one, just from like pure <laughs> sense memory. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, this was when I was like eleven years old. Yeah, not recently. <laughs> I promise. Anyway, Sheila Booth. Could you please retake this mouse and find a less downer question? Yes. Because <laughs> I don't trust myself. I would be glad. Oh my god, all of these questions are so sad. <laughs> okay, um, this is a, this is interesting. This is under science and mathematics from Yahoo Answers. Do you think our technology is part of our natural evolutionary process? Or do you think it is an anomaly? Huh. Like, do you think this is the natural progression of natural selection? I think that this question kind of implies that there's a predestined, predetermined course for evolution, but really it's whatever we make of it. Like, we're part of nature as much as we're indoors and stuff. We're undergoing evolution all the time. And I think it definitely, I mean... If I had to answer yes or no, I think yes, because the reason we don't have, like, sharp claws and teeth and everything is because our brains are big and we can make technology to compensate for that. That's the only way we've been able to survive. Yeah. So I think mostly, yeah. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think that that's a really good point um, about how we lack the stereotypical hallmarks of, like, other predators or other mammals. Like, we don't have fur. The reason we don't have fur is because we're able to keep ourselves warm in other ways. because we're fat. <laughs> That's not. We have subcutaneous fat. So do, Enough to keep us warm. So do bears, don't they? <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. And bears have fur. Okay. <laughs> Check and mate. Um, so... Yeah, I do think that it is a logical progression of the hominid evolutionary line. Yeah. I think it's both a natural part of evolution and an anomaly. I think everything in evolution is an anomaly that just gets kind of propagated. Yeah, yeah. Everything's new mutations that just happen to work for the environment. And our big-ass brains... Our big ass brains. <laughs> um, My hobby, moving the hyphen. <laughs> I forget what the next part is, but... Yeah, you're, I know you're saying. XKCD. Check um, it out. <laughs> it's... Our big brains are what allow us to continue 
like being players in the evolutionary field. Yeah, yeah. I totally buy that. I don't think that that is something I would have conceived of on my own, Mm -hmm. but having read it, it makes sense. Yeah. Totally. Totally. But yeah, I I think that that (laughs) that could fall prey to like a predeterministic outlook on evolution, which I don't think is necessarily the correct way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really all just... I mean, I guess this is kind of my own viewpoint on life and everything and the universe. (laughs) But I think that everything is just happening as it happens. (laughs) You know? It's not... There's no necessary end point for evolution. Yeah, yeah. It's just continuing to happen. And it's all just... By happenstance, just random chance. Yeah, it's very hard for, like, humans on an evolutionary or geologic scale, like, our lives are so short, it's really hard for us to understand and conceive of the sort of time scales that evolution happens on. Yeah. Like, evolution happens on the scale of, like, millennia. Mm-hmm. Many millennia. Millions of years. And we can't even, like, try to think of... Like, if I had a dollar bill, think of how much a dollar bill is. Now, if I had a million dollar bills in this room, how much space would it take up? Like, you can't even really conceive of that, can you? I can't. Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like, okay, I can think about how long a year is. Mm-hmm. And I can have, like, I have a pretty solid grip on that. Mm-hmm. But then if I try to think of a million years. Yeah. Like, it's impossible to accurately... Conceive yeah. of that in your brain. Yeah. In our you, puny little human brain. If you say, um, imagine a million years, I can imagine a lot of years. But if you say, imagine a hundred million years, I'm imagining the exact same thing, yeah. even though it's a lot more. Yeah. It's just a lot of years. There's yeah. some sort of ceiling of how much I can imagine. Yeah. And I think that's the same for most people. Yeah. Um, oh, excuse me. Okay, here, this comes from poetry, and I don't know the origin of this, but I'm gonna roll with it anyway. Casey, please answer me this. Why would a little Irish Catholic girl wheel her wheelbarrow through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh? This person asterisked out the O in cockles, so I think they may have a misconception of what it means. What is a cockle? A cockle is a little sea creature that's edible like a mussel, I believe. They say this in Game of Thrones. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cockles and mussels alive, alive, O? Um, not exactly that, but... Something similar? Something extremely similar. It's just a little girl selling seafood. Oh. I think this... <laughs> it must be part of a poem, right? It's under poetry. Yeah. Maybe it's just a poem that this asker has written <laughs> just now. Uh, I'm looking it up because we need to know. Also, he did the wrong kinds of muscles, and now I did the wrong kinds of muscles. <laughs> Molly Malone. Alive, alive. Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right. <clears throat> In Dublin's fair city where the girls are so pretty... I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone oh, as she wheeled her wheelbarrow the song. through the streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh. Alive, alive, oh. Alive, alive, oh. Crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh. She was a fishmonger, and sure, t'was no wonder. 
for so were her mother and father before. And they wheeled their barrow through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh. Alive, alive, oh, alive, alive, oh. Crying cockles and muscles, alive, alive, oh. She died of a fever, and oh, sure, no. no one could save her. Oh, sure, one could save her. Wait, no, and what? And sure, so one could save her? Okay. I'm sure that's a typo. And sure, no one can save her. Yeah. And that was the end of Sweet Molly Malone. Now her ghost wheels her barrow through streets broad and narrow, crying cockles and Ooh, muscles, spooky. alive, alive, oh. Alive, alive, oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, interesting. It's about a ghost girl selling uh, seafood. Apparently it's the unofficial anthem of Dublin, and they have, like, wheelbarrow Molly Malone statues in Dublin. Ooh, ghosts. June 13th is Molly Malone Day. Oh my goodness, we just missed it. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, I've definitely heard that song, and we should play it after we stop recording, but for copyright reasons, we probably shouldn't do it now. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, next question. Uh, I'm, I don't want to do this one. Okay. How do you make good tacos? And when I try to make tacos at home, they always taste mediocre. <laughs> I don't know if this is directed at a certain person. Like, how do you make good tacos? Or are they just saying, how does one make I'm good sure it's one. I think it's probably all in the seasoning, right? Um... Potentially. That could definitely be the primary culprit. I think the seasoning really makes a taco. Also, have you ever had fish tacos? Yeah. Um, what's that place in California that sells really good fish tacos? It's a, it's a chain, but it's really good. Did Mom would know. Mom. <laughs> Did you and I go there together? No, we didn't. Is it, it is it Finn's? It's not Finn's. Um. But what do you think makes a good taco? What do I think makes a good taco? Yeah, having solid seasoning. Do you think you make good tacos personally? I don't know. It's hard because I feel like if I go to, like, even someplace like Chipotle, like, even a chain restaurant, their tacos are always better than my tacos. And I, But it's hard for me to separate whether or not it's because food that someone else prepares for you always tastes better. Or yeah. if it's because they are actually inherently better. It's probably both. They're professional taco makers. <laughs> but I think I make mediocre. Yeah, mediocre. <laughs> That's a good way of describing it. I like, think I make mediocre. Like, if I'm, if I'm hankering for some tacos, they'll fill... The tacos I make will satisfy that. So but maybe I'm you not. just have low taco standards. I could have lot low taco standards. That is certainly a possibility. Um, the chain is Rubio's. Oh! Have you been to Rubio's? Yeah! I love Rubio's. Yeah! I, like, I don't know any other fish taco places, so it could be the worst one, but whenever we go to California, my family wants to go to Rubio's and we go. Yeah, there was a Rubio's at the food court at UCSD, and I yeah. went there on occasion. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Oh, I really, I developed a, like, a liking for fish tacos when I was in San Diego. Me too. I don't like any of the ingredients in there that much. On their I'm own. not a huge fish person. Yeah. But together, it's delectable. It is. I. That's an excellent word choice, Casey. Thank you. I commend you for that. Thank you so much. Um, so I think I would tell this person, it's pro- possibly because you're just not a good cook, but it's also <laughs> possibly because everything just tastes better when you get it 
delivered to your mouth. <laughs> Do they hand feed you at your Rubio's? They don't they, at mine. No, no, no. This is at Finn's. Oh. They, they say, open wide, my my favorite patron. <laughs> <laughs> and then they gently... Do you just tip really well? <laughs> I'm their favorite customer. Uh... Try, try, look up some good taco seasoning recipes or just buy a packet of taco seasoning. Try a bunch of different recipes, mix it up, you'll find the perfect taco recipe for you. Buy some high quality ingredients, get some like onion. Or try buying some low quality ingredients. Yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Uh, if, if that's what floats your boat. You never know until you try. Accurate statement. No, I think sometimes you know before you try. We've been talking about your frontal lobe um, anticipates what you will and won't like. It runs simulations. And yes. sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. Yes. Accurate. Okay, I think... Okay, this is a good one. Here's a serious question. Uh-huh. This pr- comes from r slash advice. Again, we're branching out in our... Uh, advice-seeking realms. I think we answered almost all of the advice on Yahoo Answers, so we just have to sometimes go to Reddit. Uh, so this person says that they lost the motivation to study, and they are wondering how to retrieve it back. My semester mids are going on, and they lost the motivation in preparing themselves for it. They need tips to get the motivation on track. Um, I have something to say about this, which I believe applies to studying and to everything. What? Uh, I think that their key word here is motivation, and you should stop thinking about things in terms of motivation, because no matter what you're doing in life, your motivation is going to wax and wane, and sometimes when you feel super motivated, that's awesome, and then you're really productive, and you accomplish a lot towards your goals but motivation like as a rule does not stay constantly high like that and you're going to have a cessation of motivation um and if you're just relying on your motivation then when you lose that motivation it's going to be really hard for you to continue to work towards your goals whatever they may be So instead of thinking about it in terms of motivation, you should instead build healthy habits. Because Hmm. if you build habits, you fall back on those no matter what. Or, like, more frequently than not. That's really smart. Did you feel that way when we were in undergrad, or did you recently develop this? This is something I... This is a worldview I've come to adopt more recently. And I'm still working on putting it into practice. Yeah, because I feel like I remember in undergrad you used to say... Like, we need to study, but I don't have any motivation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I definitely felt that way. I can commiserate with this person on a deep yeah. and spiritual level. Um, but it's something that I'm trying to adopt like, in a lot of things, like meal prepping so that you, like, eat healthily throughout the week mm-hmm. or running. Like, if you make it a habit to mm-hmm. stop, to, like, go running after work or, like, just in anything. If you make it a habit, then you'll fall back on that habit, even if you don't really feel like doing something that day. Like, a lot of times, I might not feel like going running after work, but as if I've packed my running bag the night before, and I make sure to take it with me, 
then when I'm at work and I'm leaving at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I have all my stuff here. I might as well change into my running clothes. Oh, I changed my running clothes. I might as well stop and go running. Yeah, that kind of perspective works for me a lot, too. I got super into exercise, like, after college, and now I just... I Jen is so bitter about it because she used to try to get me to go to the gym. We've mentioned this before. <laughs> she used to try so hard to get me to go to the gym just so that I, we could, like, do something fun and healthy together as a group, and I was just resistant. There was no way she would ever get me to go. Um, and now, <laughs> like, while she was at work today, I went for a really long bike ride. Um, but yeah, it's super, super duper just a habit now, and I don't, yeah, I don't have to think. I don't have to get the sudden urge to go biking. I just work it into every day. Because it's what I do, I guess. Like, okay, let's assume that most people here have, like, moderately good oral hygiene. You're never like, oh. That's generous. (laughs) It's very rare that I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood to brush my teeth right now. Yeah. But I'm going to do it because I'm in the habit of brushing my teeth. Totally. Yeah. And, like, when I need to brush my teeth, I don't think every night, oh, I need to do this or else my teeth are going to fall out. Yeah. (laughs) I just do it because it's what I do. Yeah. So I think that you should stop thinking about, you should, you should not strive to retrieve your motivation back, as you put it. Yeah, you can't manufacture motivation. No. It's, it's very capricious. I think instead. That's a great word. Yes. Instead, you should try to develop good habits. And the best way to develop a habit is to make a schedule for yourself, I think. Yeah. And then when you have a high motivation, implement your schedule. And then that's the first step to developing the habit. I think that's really good advice. But yeah, we can definitely commiserate with feeling like you've lost motivation. At the end of finals in college, not so much now, not as much now that I'm in grad school, but in undergrad, at the end of finals, like my last final project or test or whatever was so hard. Like I had motivation I feel like what motivated me to finish my second due project, my, like, penultimate project, was that I needed to start on my final project. Right. And, like, all the way up in a chain through the year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what, like, if I had something due on Thursday and something due on Wednesday, I'd be like, oh, I need to get this Wednesday thing done so that I can start on the Thursday thing. But then once I get to just having the Thursday thing, that... <laughs> that that logic isn't in my brain anymore, and so I'm just like, I'm almost done with school. This is great. You know what I would always do? And this is a term I use liberally to this day. Say I had something new on Wednesday and something new on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I would pr- productively procrastinate by doing the Thursday assignment first. That's so... That has never occurred to me. And then I would... It was, like, kind of good because, like, I'd get my work done early, but then I'd, like, be hardcore scrambling to finish the thing that was, like, actually due earlier. Right. But you weren't doing it as, like, a life hack for my problem. You were just procrastinating. Um, yeah, I was like, well, I know I should do some work right now, but you know how sometimes your brain just doesn't want to do the thing that you know you should do? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I should do work, but I really don't feel like doing this work I know I really need to do. So I'll do some other work that's less pressing. Yeah. And then I still feel like I accomplished something and I was productive, but I wasn't productive in the most like strategic way possible. <laughs> One thing that makes me really productive, I wouldn't say it motivates me. Well, it kind of does. This 
past semester when I had to get all of my final projects done, or shortly before final season, I came down with a cold for about four days and I got all of my final projects done early because <laughs> I like people were inviting me out to do things and I couldn't go because I was sick or like I wanted to go out running, but I couldn't go because I was sick. And so my brain was so mad that I couldn't do fun things that I was like, the moment I can do fun things again, I'm well enough to do fun <laughs> things. I need to be free to do them. So I need to get all this homework done now. So when I physically can do fun things, I can actually do fun things and I don't have homework holding me back. And that was just kind of serendipitous that that happened right before finals. I just was on the couch, just constantly doing work. Like, you know, I mean, listeners don't know, but Jen knows when I'm studying or working, I'm mostly taking breaks. Yes. <laughs> like, accurate. Whenever we would be studying together, Jen would like look at what I was doing and be like, oh, what are you doing? And I would be playing bubble spinner <laughs> like nine out of 10 times. Yes. I guess that's my method. Like when I am being productive, I'm being pretty productive. But most of the time, I'm taking breaks from being productive. But the time I was sick, a couple of months ago, I didn't take breaks for hours. And that sounds like not that much time, but for hours, I would do schoolwork. And that's unheard of That for is me. unheard so of. So I'm not telling yourself to acquire a virus, but it might work for you. <laughs> what Casey's saying is go drag up, dredge up some... Uh... Some rabies. No. <laughs> Just go lick a couple doorknobs. Uh, staphylococcus. No, just a common cold. What some is it? Oh, e rhinovirus. E. coli. Go lick a rhino's tusk horn. <laughs> Solid 10 out of 10 advice. As always. Uh, flawless. <laughs> uh, I do see what you're saying, although it does seem counterintuitive that you are more productive when you're sick. Yeah. But I... It definitely... It has to be a certain type of sickness. Because yeah. some sicknesses you feel brain foggy or yeah. super fatigued. But I was just feeling like my throat hurt and I was like congested and I wanted to be physically laying down, but my brain was still capable. Do you ever feel that way when you're sick? Occasionally, yeah. 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 It's not... It's definitely not a reliable study method, <laughs> but it worked for me. If it happens... If it happens, Take then... advantage of it. Yes, exactly. Take advantage of your situation. Yes, and take advantage of your motivation when you have it, but develop... Yeah, strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, but develop more long-term strategies that do not rely on motivation. Yeah, that's super good advice. But also habit-forming yeah. sounds hard and boring and responsible, so... Usually habit-forming... It's like a negative, has negative connotations. Like, uh, yeah, it does. This, this drug is habit forming. Yeah, I'm like saying, your heroin habit. Yeah, or, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I'm just, I just agree with what Casey says. I don't listen to what she says. It's gotten Jen into a lot of trouble. Uh, wow, what great, I think that was some solid advice. What, what some... That was, that was, wow. We finally found our way in this episode towards some positivity, <laughs> some forward-thinking advice, and not just morbid, weird questions. <laughs> I forgot how weirdly this started. Yeah. Sorry um, about that. How about we ask our listeners to hit us up with some uplifting questions? Yeah, that's your task for the week. Yes. Uh, <laughs> pop them into the inbox at askchattahoochee. Slide at into our inbox. Yeah slide right in at, <laughs> at gmail.com and ask us some questions that will cheer us up as we answer them and Please. cheer you up to hear about. 
Why don't we get more questions about banana qualities that we I like? I know, I know. That's... Why has this gotten dark? <laughs> it's taking a turn. Yeah. Anyway, have a good night, folks. Good night. Good night.